Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. And I appreciate so much having a team that can just lead us in this moment. You know, uh, worship, what it does is it really kind of breaks down whatever wall you brought in, and it helps you to get your mind focused on why we're here in the first place. Amen? Listen, we got a lot of things happening. Today's a big day. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Say amen. amen. Some of you don't care. How many of you going for? How many of you going for the uh, the Chiefs? Yeah. Amen. How many of you going for the Niners? All right. There's there's two of us. How many of you going for the commercials? <laughs> there we go. That's what's happening. Today is also Groundhog's Day, and man, wait, hey, well, before I get into that, if you haven't checked in, this month, the whole month of February, all of our check-ins go to help provide meals for children in need, so if you pull out your phone, you go to Exchange Facebook page, uh, you can check in right there, and that will do that, but I, I didn't even know today was Groundhog's Day, and then I pulled up my Facebook, and there were like all these uh, news stations and stuff going live on Facebook, did y'all watch that? And I've just got to tell you, I am disappointed in life. No. No, it's spring. It's going to be spring, early spring. But for some reason, I'm 42 years old. And for some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason, in my mind, I've always believed there was some sort of science or something Behind it, I just I thought in my mind, and I've never watched it before, and so I don't know if you watched it or whatever, but I've never watched it before. I just always hear, hey, the groundhog came out, and he saw his shadow, or he didn't see his shadow. We're going to have longer winter or, or early spring. Whatever. I don't know. I don't know what he does. I, don't, I didn't know he had a name. I didn't know any of that. And so today, I just happened to pop on my Facebook, and I saw that it was live, and I was like, sweet. I wonder, I hope we have spring. I, I like spring. I'm ready for spring. Because winters here are dumb, okay? It's like not really a winter. It's boring, okay? Now, if it would actually snow or something, that'd be cool. But we don't have that. We just have, like, annoying. And so I watch this groundhog, and they're like, everybody's got a chant, Phil, Phil, Phil. And they're all wearing their top hats and stuff. So I'm in my office chanting Phil. I'm like, Phil, 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 this is going to be awesome. And they reach into the cage, and they pull out the groundhog. Ah! Everybody screams, like thousands of people, thousands. If you've never seen this, you got to go back and watch it. Uh, it'll just totally waste your life. And so they're screaming, yeah. And they take this, and they're like, we're going to place him on the pedestal of the red carpet. And there's like a tree trunk or something with red carpet on it. And I was like, sweet, I wonder. And it's snowing there. So I'm like, I wonder how this is going to work. I'm Pretty sure I could predict right now that he's not going to see a shadow, except for all the lights, cameras, and stuff for them. They placed the groundhog on the table, and I've never watched this. I'm 42, but for some reason I thought that actually he really actually looks at a shadow. 
They put him on the table. This is not going to happen. Nothing. He didn't move. The guy's holding him. And I'm like, let him go. Let him look around. And, and the guy with the microphone, he goes, which scroll is he going to pick? I thought he was looking for a shadow. Did any of you think he was looking for a shadow? I mean, how dumb am I? Because I, I have totally missed it my whole life, I guess. But there's two, like, pins on the table. And this guy's holding the groundhog. And he says, which scroll is he going to lead us to? And I was like, lead us to? Where's the shadow? And the guy takes his microphone, phone, go watch it. And the guy goes, pushes one of the scrolls to the, to the groundhog's nose. The groundhog didn't pick it. And then they unroll the scroll. And they declare that it's going to be early spring. And it had nothing. The groundhog didn't do nothing. The guy pushed the scroll. I was going to preach a whole message on this because I'm so disappointed. And because I thought for sure there was a... So now they're saying we're going to have early spring. <laughs> Whatever. Is it, now I know I'm, I'm kind of making a joke of this, but I seriously was so disappointed. And so I'm sure all of you knew that except for me. I am now caught up to the year 2020, and the groundhog actually has nothing to do with uh, whatever, even though I knew he probably really didn't anyway, but I really thought that he actually is looking for something. Uh, I pictured him coming out of a hole like, you know, and, and there's a shadow. Nope, that's not it. He reads a scroll. <sighs> focus, focus. Hussah, hussah. Okay. All right, I'm good. Listen, welcome to the exchange. Spring is coming early. Amen. I don't know if you've I don't know if you've heard that, but spring is coming early and I'm excited that you are here. Listen, we're going to begin a brand new series today and I'm excited about this. We're going to continue with the theme of clarity. Now, if you weren't here at the beginning of the year, we started a, a series uh, a theme for the year called Clarity and and it's really just Praying for clarity, praying for clarity when we read the scriptures that will have clarity and understanding the scriptures, what they mean to us. Clarity in understanding God and understanding the voice. Clarity of who Jesus is and being able to bring clarity to people uh, that don't know Jesus and understanding. And so that's kind of our theme for the year. So we're going to kind of continue with that theme into this uh, series here. And we're going to talk about a series, and this, the name of the series is The Clarity of Happiness. Everybody say happiness. Because that's really ultimately what we all want is happiness. And so I'm going to put a subtitle with this, uh, with this series title here. And the subtitle is going to end with a question mark, and it's this question. What makes you happy? Okay? What makes you happy? Now, this is a question, but it could also be a statement, and it could also be a promise. What makes you happy? So over the next few weeks, and I'm going to tell you this, and I know it sounds offensive, and if you don't know me, I'm really not that offensive to most people. But if you know me, you know that I'm not really trying to be offensive. But I'm going to tell you over the next few weeks what makes you happy, okay? And, uh, 
We're going to tell you that because I, I understand what makes us happy. I'm going to tell you what makes you happy. And the reason I'm going to tell you what makes you happy is because some of us, not all of us, but some of us in this room, we don't actually know what makes us happy. And the way that you can tell whether or not you know what makes you happy or not, and, and, and maybe you know this, is if you think you know what makes you happy, but you're still not happy, then maybe you don't actually know what makes you happy. That makes sense? I mean, that seems kind of easy to understand. And I know it's kind of strange for some of you, but especially for a guy like me who maybe don't know you that well, maybe I haven't actually been to your house or been a part of your family, for, to stand up here and say, I'm going to tell you what makes you happy but listen, think about it this way. Every time you open up a magazine, every time you turn on the radio, every time you turn on the television, every time you get on the internet, there are tons and tons and tons of commercials and ads made up by people who are telling you what makes you happy. And, and they're made up about people that you've never even met Places that you've never even been or visited, but yet they tell you what makes you happy. And so, in fact, the Super Bowl today, I mean, the Super Bowl is known almost nowadays not even so much for the football, but for the commercials because that's kind of more universal in, in the United States. You know, right now, that's the Chiefs versus 49ers. Most of us could care less, Right. I mean, really, it's like you, you, you have a player that you like more on one team than the other team. But really, it doesn't matter because your team's not in it, correct? And so, ultimately, for a lot of us, it's really more about the Super Bowl commercials. And in these commercials, they've spent millions and millions of dollars on ads telling you what will make you happy. So, we know that it's offensive, but... I'm going to help you with that because you probably don't know the answer to the question of what makes you happy. Most of us, and maybe it's just a small percentage of us, but most of us, the, and the reason that I think this is important is because a lot of us have forgotten what makes us happy. I think we all knew at one point, but ultimately we just kind of forgot about it. So we're going to discover throughout this series, that you can't actually market happiness, okay? Now, you can market quick fix happiness, but you can't market and sell real happiness. It doesn't work that way. And there's not a lot of people in our culture that are talking about what truly makes us happy. So for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to do, is we're going to help you answer that question of what makes you happy and we're going to find, thus, the clarity of happiness. So we're going to jump right in with one of the most important things. We're going to talk about this throughout the entire series of what makes us happy. But I think the most important thing that you probably know, but you need to be reminded of, is simply this. Happiness is more about a who than a what. Okay? Happiness is more about a who than a what. And that's one of the earliest lessons that we ever learned in life. We learned it in the backyard when we were little kids in the backyard. It really didn't matter what we had. It was who we were with, right? 
And then you go to elementary school and your favorite thing on the playground is the monkey bars or the swing. And you're like, yeah, that's what makes me happy. Run over there. You're the only one there. And you see all the who's over there. And so you'll leave the what because the what's actually not the most important thing. It's the who's, right? And then you get into junior high and high school and it really doesn't matter what you did. It was the who's you were looking for your group of who, right? And and that's kind of the way it's always been. And it's a lesson that we all learn. But somehow throughout life, we forgot about the who's and we focused on the what's. But isn't it true? Because happiness really is more about a who than a what. And so I'm going to say it a little bit different. Happiness is always associated with a who or two. Happiness is always associated with a who or two. So think about that. Uh, I was thinking this morning when I was reading over my notes, this past week, um, our kids will come home, and and Parker, he always wants to come and, and jump up in my lap. He's my little cuddle buddy. And so... We start watching, he wants to watch movies with me all the time. He's wanting to watch TV. I'm not going to tell you his favorite movie because you're going to judge me. And I don't, I don't, need, that. I don't need that from you this morning. Uh, he started watching a couple movies on TV, and, and uh, he's just, he loves them. And so I said, Bubba, we're going to watch this movie. And it was Hook by, uh, you know, Robin Williams. How many of y'all have seen that movie? Come on, I hope more of y'all have seen that because I don't want to try to explain the whole movie, but... So anyway, Robin Williams is playing this character, and he is Peter Pan, but he's, he's lost from Neverland. He ends up getting back to Neverland. I'm paraphrasing, totally probably going to butcher this. He's in Neverland, and he's fixing to face Captain Hook. Captain Hook has Robin Williams' kids, which he's Peter Pan. He forgot he was Peter Pan, and, and now he's back in Neverland, and he's starting to remember that he is Peter Pan. And he's talking to Tinkerbell. And he's trying to fight Hook because Hook has his kids. He's got to get his kids back from Hook. And he needs to fly, and he can't fly. And so Tinkerbell's telling him, you got to think, what's your happy thought? you got to get your happy thought. you got to get your happy thought. And he's like, I'm trying. And he's running, jumping off rocks, trying to fly, and he can't fly. And he's like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to get my happy thought. I've got to get my happy thought because i got to go get my ki- kids. And then he goes, kids. And he shuts his eyes, and he imagines he remembers when his son was born he remembers holding his little baby boy and and holding him and kissing him and he remembers his daughter and he just starts and he goes that's it and he opens his eyes and he's floating 10 feet off the ground and he's like I got my happy thought I got my happy thought and then he's flying around and they're like hey Peter's back you know Peter Pan's back and and he goes he flies up to his son his son's looking at him and he goes I found my happy thought my happy thought you. I looked at Parker and I said, Parker, you're my happy thought. And I said, and your sisters and your mom are my happy thought. And without missing a beat, he goes, well, then can you fly? (laughs) Dude, I'm like crying. I'm trying to have a moment. Get off. Go. Go clean your room or something. I'm going to watch this. If happiness was about a what, then we could just go out and get more what, right? 
Think about that. If it was about a what, then we could just go get our what and we'd be happy all the time. No matter how you treated me, I would just go get my what because my what makes me happy and then everybody could be happy because we have our what. And, but, and you know this, but it's just a reminder, but happy what always leads to happy what else, okay? If you're happy what, is, is it, then your happy what's going to always lead to a happy what else. It's caffeine happiness. Eventually, it wears off over time. And I can give you some examples. For example, when you got your new phone, it made you happy. You were so excited to have your new phone. It was awesome. And this was the greatest phone ever for a while until you needed a new phone. And all of a sudden, the old phone that you had doesn't make you quite as happy because you need a new what, which actually doesn't make you happy. Or, or if you know anybody like this, I don't know anybody like this, but they, they <laughs> I would tread lightly here, sorry. So you get a new car and you want this. This is the car I want. In fact, I'm going to drive this car till the wheels fall out. I, this is the car I want. And you want that car until... Next year, one year later, I need a new car. It's the same thing with a job. It's the same thing with many, many things. You always, the what makes you happy for a little while until you need a new what. I did it with my motorcycle. My motorcycle, this is, this is it. This is, I've dreamed of this bike. I got it. Now I want one more bike because I couldn't, I dreamed of the bigger bike, but I couldn't afford the bigger bike. So this bike was within my dreaming budget, but now I want to dream bigger. And, and the what never actually makes you, the, the, if you're happy, what, it always leads to happy, what else, or a happy, what next. Because here's the thing, and this is really important to understand, this is, if, if an aging what deflates your happiness, then maybe you weren't happy to begin with. Here's some more evidence, and I'm just kind of stacking the case here uh, for what I'm saying. If your parents, and, or, or maybe if you were younger, or you live with your parents, or maybe you're in and out of the house, you should know this. You can leverage this. Just don't tell anybody that you got it from me. But parents actually, statistically, are never happier than their most unhappy child. Did you know that? Typically, parents never eclipse the happiness of their most unhappy child. They say the same is true in marriage. If you love your spouse, typically your happiness will never eclipse that of your spouse. So our happiness is tied in. Our happiness is tied in. It's really difficult for us to understand this because your happiness and my happiness, at the end of the day, it's all really tied into a who, not a what. Not a what. We're all who's living in whoville is basically what I'm trying to say. So now, and here's another way I want to drive this point home. It's, it's definitely a more sensitive topic. But if you have ever or you know anybody that's ever struggled with infertility, that's a very, very difficult, dark, dark season to be in. And I've had several friends in the past that have struggled with, with that. 
And it doesn't matter what they have, what they wear, where they live, what kind of job. None of that matters when you're struggling with infertility. It's all about the who. When you're trying to bring a who into your life, nothing else matters until that who comes into your life. Because it's not about a what at the end of the day, but it's about a who. And all of you parents should say a big amen. Some of you are like, well, it's debatable. Because you had one of those drives to church this morning, didn't you? Now, if you think about it, most people don't just love kids. Just, I mean, and I say that, again, we have all these levels of love, right? So we use love very universally, and there's all these levels. But, you know, people say that they love kids. But when you have your own, okay, and those of you that have kids, when you hold your own child for the first time, all of a sudden you're awakened to the fact Oh, this is what they talk about. That when you hold that child, you, 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 you've always liked kids, and you've always thought you loved kids, but when you hold your own child, it takes it to a whole nother level. And so you got to understand that happiness is always about a who versus a what, because at the end of the day, you will have relational, not possessional regrets. At the end of your life, if you have regrets, and most of us, you know, probably at the very end, I know that we would like to say, oh, when I die, no regrets, whatever. At the end of your life, some of us will have some regrets, maybe down deep. And most of regrets, nine times out of ten, are going to be relational regrets, not possessional regrets. At the end of the day, nobody tends to want to go and make things right with a what. Does that make sense? I don't feel like some of you are understanding me. You are looking at me like, eh, I don't know what you're talking about. So, for example, when, ladies, you're at the end of your life, you're laying on your deathbed, and I know this sounds morbid, but I'm not trying to be morbid. You're not going to ask your husband and your kids, could y'all leave the room? Give me a moment with my shoes. <laughs> right? Okay. One or two of you, one or two of you might. <laughs> I've just stepped into something. Let me, let me back out slowly. Okay. Totally messed up that illustration. So I was going to use purse next and talk about Louis, but never mind. Not even going there. Or, or for guys, you know, it's not a, you know, kids, could you leave me alone? Would you bring my gun into the hospital? Lay it on my chest, you know. Give me a moment. Or, or you're not going to be laying on your deathbed and be like, nurses, could you wheel me out to the parking lot? I just need a moment. Kids, go away. Kids, wife, just go away. Give me a moment with the car, with my truck, right? Ernest might. He might. He might. And I was thinking about the guns, and Patrick and Art might. They might. But no, but ultimately, and we, I'm joking, but I'm trying to make a point here. Ultimately, at the end of life, it's not possessional regrets that we probably will end up with. It's relational regrets because you are uh, built to be relational. Happiness is relational in nature, okay? Happiness is relational in nature. Now, when you hear that, there's a group of people, and it's primarily men, and I understand that, that want to rebuttal with that and say, listen, I I get it. That's all cute. Everything you're saying is all cute and all. But at the end of the day, I don't need nobody to make me happy, right? Have you ever heard that? I don't need anybody 
to make me happy. No, I'm my own person, whatever. I don't need anybody or anything. I'm, I'm happy on my own, whatever, 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 blah, 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 blah. So let me just say this real quick, and then we'll, we'll shift gears back to where I'm going. There's two kinds of people that say that. I don't need anybody in order to be happy. The first group of people are the group of people that have so many people in your life. So many people in your life that you've never experienced life without being inundated by love. You have so many friends and family members and relationship upon relationship and, on, and you just have so, your circles you have all these levels and layers of friends and family that you've never known what it's like to not have them and so sometimes it's easy to say well I don't need anybody to make me happy and you can't say that because you've always had everybody in your life You've had so many, it's, it's like people that have all the food in the world that they, they need, and they say, well, I don't need food to make me happy. Of course you don't, because you have everything you need right in front of you. Until you've gone without, you can't really say that, okay? And so people with lots of relationship options, it's easy to say, oh, I don't know, need people to make me happy. That's the group number one. Group number two is the group of people that can't fix their own isolation. They can't fix their own isolation, so what they do is they begin to tell themselves, I'm fine, I don't need anybody to make me happy. Well, they, they struggle, and they try to fix their isolation issues, and they try, and they try, and they try, and it's just never working out, and they just keep finding themselves back in the same set of circumstances, and they start believing this lie, and their defense mechanism goes up, and they say, well, I don't need anybody to make me happy. I don't need any, I'm an island. I'm, a, I'm my own person. I'm a fortress. I don't need anybody to make me happy, happy. and that is so dangerous to be in. In fact, if you're in that second group of persons, of people, then this series really is for you because you were not actually designed to do life in isolation. That's not what, what our purpose is. It's not healthy. And ultimately, you're robbing someone else of your relationship. You're robbing someone else of your companionship. You're robbing someone else of your friendship. You're robbing someone else of your support. So let me just say it this way. When we can't get what we want, we tell ourselves we really don't want it just as a defense mechanism, but it's not actually true. And all of us probably at some point of our lives have bought into that lie and said it, right? We've said, you know what, I don't need that to make me happy. We do it with all kinds of stuff all the time. Because when we can't get what we want, we just tell ourselves, you know what, I didn't really want it anyway. And in some cases, it doesn't matter. But when it comes to relationships, it's deadly and it's unhealthy. It's an unhealthy way to think because you were designed with relationship in mind. Let me say that one more time. You were designed with relationship in mind. So now there's this one thing, and it's not really a thing, but there's this thing, there's one thing that, that every happy person has. And that's this, peace, peace on the inside. They have peace. Happy people have peace. Specifically people, happy people are at peace. They're, they're happy people are at peace with themselves. 
I mean, when you, when you see them, they could be rich or they could be poor. They could be an introvert or an extrovert. They could have a lot or have a little. They could be old. They could be young. They could have no kids. They could have lots of kids. They could be married or single or divorced or divorced again and uh, divorced again and divorced. And you find these people, and all of a sudden, they just seem so okay with themselves. And you hear their story, and you go, wait a minute. I don't understand why you're not so bitter. And they say things like, well, I just forgave and moved on. I just let it go. I just didn't dwell there. And they have this peace inside of them that you don't even understand. You don't, Because happy people tend to be at peace with themselves. They're comfortable in their own skin. They're not warring against themselves. They're not trying to get to be something that they're not. They're, trying, they're not trying to pretend uh, to get something that they don't have. They're just at peace with themselves. And wouldn't that be fantastic if, if we could just be at peace with ourselves? The other thing that you'll notice or discover about happy people is that oftentimes happy people are at peace with other people. Dun, dun, dun. They're not angry with anybody. Even when they're mistreated, they're not bitter. Even when you hear their story, they're not bitter. They just move on. They're, they're at peace with themselves. They're at peace with other people. And, and other people have abused them. And other people have mistreated them. And they have just been beat down and beat down and beat down. And over and over and over, they get right back up, and they're fine, and they're not trying to go and pay somebody back. They're not trying to avenge whatever happened. They're not trying to go and take somebody something that somebody took from them. They are just at peace with other people. And then the last thing that you'll discover with some happy people is not all happy people, but I'm going to say a lot of happy people. I'm not going to argue the whole all point. But oftentimes, when you meet someone who is truly happy, happy people are many times at peace with God. Even if it's not the way you view of God or the way uh, your view of God, uh, happy people oftentimes are at peace with God because in the back of their mind, they realize that there's more to life than just this life. They realize that there's more. Happy people that are at peace with God realize that in the, in the end, everything's going to be made right. Everything's going to be okay, and I'm going to be okay. At the end, they understand that, that God is doing something and that God is bigger than them. And so they believe that everything's going to work out. And they have this confidence in God that allows them to walk through stuff that otherwise typically steals people's joy, that steals people's Peace, and that steals people's happiness. Now, if all of this were true, and we're going to switch gears here, if all of what I said is true, then it's worth paying attention for. So if I've lost your attention right here just for a moment, listen to this, because this is a really, really powerful statement. Anything that undermines your peace ultimately undermines your happiness. Okay? So think about that. In the whole scheme of things, in the clarity of happiness, anything that undermines your peace, anything that undermines your peace with, with people, your peace with themselves, your peace with God. And every single one of us, if, if you had a minute to think about it, you could think about a circumstance in life or a relationship or a time or a season in life where you made a decision that 
undermined your relationship with God. Or maybe you made a decision that undermined your relationship with other people or that undermined your relationship with yourself. And somehow it's kind of become a regret in your life. And if we could go back to that one week or if we go back to that one weekend or that season, whatever it was, and we could fix it, that, that we could chip and fix that regret, and then we could kind of gain our happiness back. Because anything that undermines your peace, in other words, when you think about a decision you made, and you're like, I just don't know if I should do this. I don't know if I should say this. I don't know if I should go there. I don't know if I should quit. I don't know if I should take this. I don't know. Any kind of decision like that puts you on the verge of potentially undermining your own happiness. Because happy people are at peace with themselves, peace with others, and oftentimes they're at peace with God. So here's something that Christians have discovered. Now, if you're kind of new to the church and you're like, I just don't like that word Christians, whatever, you know, I get it. (laughs) I had that conversation just this past week that I don't call myself a Christian. I don't believe in that word. It shows up a couple times in the Bible. That's not really how we're identified. So if you don't like that word, a better description of who we are is a Jesus follower, right? So if you're a Jesus follower, and the reason that we like that word better is because Jesus never said, be a Christian, be a Christian, be a Christian, right? But Jesus did say, follow me, follow me, follow me, right? Okay, good. I'm glad you're... <laughs> so, one of the things that Jesus' followers or Christians have discovered is this. Peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves. And we're going to talk about that more. But it not only does it do that, but it also equips us to make peace with others. So, say it like this. Peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves and equips us to make peace with others. In fact, if you think about it and you go back and you read the New Testament, most of the New Testament is all about making peace with other people. No, it's not. It's about Jesus. Yeah. And over and over and over and over, he, Jesus, points us back to fixing things with people, with people, make peace with people, make peace with people, love people, reach out to people, help people, lift up people, build people over and over and over. In fact, Jesus was asked one of the most profound questions, and we've talked about this many, many times in this church. He was asked a lot of silly questions, a lot of crazy questions, because they were always trying to trap him and trick him. But he was asked a really, 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 really ridiculously important question by a lawyer. And this lawyer, he basically comes up to Jesus, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase this for a second just to set the scene. He says, listen, Jesus, some of the, some of the Jews and I, we've been talking, and, and we have, man, there's 600-plus laws, right? A lot of laws. And you're Jesus, and I've heard rumors that, you're from God, <laughs> right? So, I just, just wondering, just, just tell us, Jesus, out of all these commands and laws, I just want to know, what, what's the most important? 
What's the greatest commandment? Tell us the, if there was one that was just going to, bam, this is the command from God. We want to know. Tell us. Now, when he's saying that, he's setting Jesus up because in his mind, he already has an answer to the question. And in most of the Jews' minds, they already have an answer to the question. And here's how that conversation goes in Matthew 22. He says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, which is the most important one? Now, before I go any further, I want you to understand that when we think about laws and commandments, we really don't think that it has anything to do with happiness, okay? When you think about laws and commandments, we don't really think about happiness. In fact, I kind of have always thought of the laws and commandments as kind of getting in the way of my Am I the only one that thought that way? <laughs> I just exposed myself here. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But I kind of grew up with, man, we have all these laws and rules, and I'm constantly breaking rules that I don't even know I'm breaking. And now when I just look at something on accident, I'm breaking rules and I'm breaking laws. I can't even do anything right. And so it just began to steal my happiness because I was always struggling with that. And so he asked this question, and he's, He's trying to to get an answer here, and it's really profound when you think about what he's asking Jesus. He's talking to Jesus here, and this is a big deal. He says, what's your favorite? What's the greatest? What's the biggest, greatest command or law? When you think about something like that, you think that it would start with a don't ever, right? Or a you must always, right? Kind of one of those big things. Or you think it would have something to do with power, money, sex, greed, something like that, you know? Like you need to, don't ever. And and, and so that's what they're kind of trying to get to. And, And so he says, Jesus, what's the greatest command? And since you speak from God or whatever, then you should know what's the most important. And listen, when when Jesus answers this question, I want you to listen through the grid of what we've been talking about of happiness is, okay? Happiness, okay? So when Jesus answers this question, Jesus replies and says, love. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm asking. I appreciate it. That's kind. But I'm looking for a command, okay? A law, a rule. I need a rule here. Jesus says, love. No, you're misunderstanding my question. I'm wanting you to tell me, the, like, a, that, give me a thou shalt not kind of thing. Get, what's, the, what's the most important thou shalt? That's what they're looking for. They're trying to trap Jesus in this. And Jesus says, I answered your question. I said, love. Okay, but, but love is not a command word. Love is a relationship word, Jesus. Take the love. Give me a command. I'm looking for the greatest commandment. Jesus replied, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That does not sound very commanding, does it? I want the biggest, greatest command. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the biggest rule? That's the Out of all the rules, out of all these rules that we have, that's what you're going to go with. That's the biggest rule rule but you know Jesus didn't stop there Jesus what Jesus's point is that the, the the most important thing is that you are at peace with God 
the most important command that I can come up with is that you are at peace with God. But Jesus never stopped there. He didn't end there. So the first component to this greatest is be at peace with God. And then he goes on and he says, the, that's the first and the greatest command. And the second one is like it, which means the second one is equal to it, which means you can't have one without the other. These are a package deal. I'm giving you, I'm giving a two-for-one deal right here. It's packaged up. All right, you can't have one without the other. The first one is you need to be at peace with God. Now I'm going to add in the other two components which you have to have. Love your neighbor as yourself. Which means the second is equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower or you're new or you, you haven't been to church for a while, you don't normally read the Bible, I cannot even begin to over-exaggerate how profound this statement from Jesus is as he answers the question because ultimately what Jesus is saying with this statement right here is the most important thing above everything else is peace with God, peace with others, and peace within yourself. Jesus, what's the most important? Peace with God, peace with others, and peace with yourself. And he's, Jesus, we get what you're saying. I mean, you say a lot of things that we don't understand. You talk in parables all the time, and we don't get half of them. We get that, but what are you really trying to say? And he's saying, listen, listen, the most important thing ever, love God. In other words, be at peace with God. And the, the second component is you need to love people. You need to be at peace with people. And the third component that he says in this statement right here is you have to love yourself. You have to be at peace with yourself. <sighs> well, Jesus, it just sounds to me like you just want us to be happy. Right? Duh. <laughs> Duh. I built all that up to get to that moment that he wants us to be happy. I do. Jesus would probably say something like this if he were here right now. And, and this is my belief, my opinion. Jesus would say something like, it is core to who I am that you're at peace with God people and yourself it is essential as a Jesus follower that you are at peace with God that you love God that you are at peace with people and you are at peace with yourself when I was young I really kind of believed that God was in the way of my happiness okay I loved God because I was scared of hell but I, I wasn't sure how much I loved God because it seemed like there were so many roles and everything that I did. And, and I was little, so I didn't know all the roles, but I was constantly being reminded that I broke them. You know, I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't know it was a rule. And all of a sudden, you start to kind of, in, in my little mind, begin to believe, man, God's kind of in the way of my happiness. I can't do nothing. 
Okay? I, everything that I do is wrong, and everything that I say is wrong, and I can't say that. I, I mean, my parents are not this way anymore, but I got my mouth washed out for saying gosh. I say golly, and I get Tabasco sauce rubbed in the back of my mouth. My mom was, she was gangster. <laughs> right? I remember when I started learning how to read, and uh, we stopped at a stop sign, and I read the back of the stop sign. That wasn't good. <laughs> Tabasco sauce was teaching me what the F word meant. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to say it. <laughs> and, 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 and so I was always being told what I couldn't do. And all these rules. And, and I felt like God was kind of in the way of my happiness. And since Jesus spoke for God, then that kind of puts Jesus a little bit in the way of my happiness. Because my options were this. Be a Christian, a good Christian, or be happy. Be religious and pick a denomination that you believe in and stick with it or be happy. Because they were always at conflict. There wasn't kind of a middle ground. And you just kind of had to do one or the other. And, and I remember as a kid learning about other denominations. You know, I had friends that would invite me to this church or that church. And, and they could say, gosh. And I was like, y'all can say, you can say that? And they're like, yeah, gosh. And I was like, gosh. <laughs> You know, because they were like, well, that's okay. We say that. And I was like, does everybody in your church say God? Yeah, everybody in my church says gosh. And I was like, dude, I want to be a part of your church. <laughs> and so in my mind, listen, I know I'm making it. I'm giving you an extreme here. I'm giving you an extreme here. But I'm just telling you, in my mind, this is how it began to work, is that my relationship with God was really more based on what I can't, all my can'ts. And, and it really wasn't so much this incredible love. It was really a, a fear-driven what I can and can't do and what I'm allowed to do. And then I began to question denomination. Well, you love God a lot. Y'all say you do, but you can do this. We say you cannot do that, and we love God. And my denomination is the right denomination, right? Right? Do you believe that? That's why you're part of it. <laughs> so mine is right, and yours must be wrong. And so all of a sudden, all this conflict just started rising up because I remembered that it was a real struggle. But the one thing that I've learned about me, and the one thing that I probably would guess about you, is that Unhappy people won't stay in unhappy circumstances as long as they have to, right? They will get out as soon as they can because ultimately we're on a quest for happiness, right? So if you're in an unhappy circumstance, your goal in life is to not stay there. And I think that's probably why we're not packed out this morning and there's a lot of people at home. Is because they felt like in the church it was just unhappy. That it was too much work. That I was never going to measure up. I was never going to amount. And all of a sudden they start making decisions and equating these things with God. And they just won't stay in an unhappy circumstance for longer than they have to. Because ultimately we're on a quest for happiness. And we'll talk about that more in the next few weeks. 
But the truth is, your heavenly Father, who has revealed through Jesus what is most important to him, that actually ties into what is most important to you, even though you may not have thought about it in those terms, is actually not in the way of your happiness. So the way that we see Jesus, or the way that we see God through Jesus is actually as far from being in the way of our happiness as he could be. So however you've grown up or however you have viewed him in thinking maybe, at some, and maybe in some uh, small form or fashion that maybe God was in the way, God is absolutely not in the way of your happiness. God actually provides a way to happiness. Which means ultimately to resist God is to resist happiness, to fight against happiness. To resist your heavenly father at the end of the day ultimately is to resist happiness. In fact, I would guess, I don't know this, but I would guess that if we were to stand up here today and we were to make a video or or stand up, pass the mic around, and we all begin to talk about the biggest regret in our life, 99% of us, maybe all of us, would finish explaining our greatest regret. And part of what we created as the greatest regret would be that we broke peace with God, or that we broke peace with people, or we broke peace with ourselves. Because ultimately, it all comes back to a who, not a what. And by messing with your peace, it made you unhappy. And so Jesus invites us all through what Jesus did to be at peace with God, to make peace with God. When you make peace with God, it's easy to make peace with people because you understand God. And when you do that, it's easy to be at peace with yourself that ultimately brings about happiness. Because, again, happiness is about a who over a what. Now, Switching gears one more time, we're going to talk about this other idea, and we're going to launch into this series, and as we launch into this series, we're going to take all these thoughts, all these ideas, we're going to mix it up, we're going to kind of talk about them all, so you want to be back in the next few weeks, but I want to introduce this last idea, and then I'm going to wrap it up here, and this is kind of a downer, but it's something that we need to talk about, and we're going to talk about the word sin. Everybody say sin. Ooh, Mufasa, it just gives me... Say it again, say it again, sin, you know, whatever. But sin, right? Sin. Sin's kind of a big deal. So for the next five minutes, I just want you to define sin however you want to define sin. So however you want to kind of look at sin, whatever value you want to put on sin, you you value. If, If you're a Jew and you want to go back into the Jewish Law, you know, you define it that way. If you come from another religion, you know, if you're a, a Christian, a Jesus follower, maybe hopefully you define it the way the New Testament defines it, uh, which is the way I like to define it. And so however you want to define sin, ultimately what it comes down to, and you can study this, Paul talks about it, John talks about it a few times, but sin ultimately is missing the mark, okay? It's coming up short and missing the mark. And so I want you to just, in your mind, I want you to begin to define sin for just a second. And, and, and maybe you don't even want to talk about the word sin because in your mind you're like, oh, you know, religion is, is the root of all evil. You know, I just hate blah, 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 blah. And listen, you have a great case for that too. Um, but So define sin however you want. But if you're in that camp, I just want you to find, define sin for the next few minutes 
is doing something that other people think you shouldn't do or that you think you shouldn't do that still sometimes you do. But you think you shouldn't. Okay? So we'll just define it, define sin in the broadest way possible. But sin ultimately is falling short of whatever your standards are as a Christian, as a believer, as a Jesus follower. So, sin. Everybody say sin. Now, here's what's true of sin. No matter how broad you define sin, here's what's true of sin. (laughs) Sin always brings destruction. Everybody say destruction. Okay, sin destroys. Sin destroys relationships. Sin destroys relationships with other people. In fact, when in both people, you know, you, you, you have this conflict between somebody and you go, well, you sin against me. No, you sin against me. Well, I only sin this much. You sin this much. You sin against me. Well, we, we can't both sin. Yeah, you can both sin. You can both miss the mark as far as the other person's concerned. But you sin. You miss the mark. So think about your previous marriage or something at work or the boss or the employee, the person that lied, they cheated. I'll never talk to them again. I hope I never see them again. I hope I never run into them at H-E-B or whatever your thing is. You know, I just hope I, I never have to deal with again with them again because you're in this relational conflict. Somebody did something to you that you didn't think that they should do to you, but they did it to you anyway, or maybe you did it to them and you miss the mark, you sinned against them, and ultimately what sin begins to do is sin begins to erode relationships. Sin begins to bring destruction into relationships, and when you bring sin in, and you define it however you want, when you bring sin into a relationship, you begin to erode the peace between you and other people. Pastor Kevin talked about this last week, and he brought up this just a powerful reminder of this. He said that sin is not so much the issue between you and God, but it's between you and people. And that's why James, he wrote this verse in James 5.16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James didn't say confess your sins to God and and good luck or whatever. He said, confess your sins to one another. Tell one another. Repent to one another. And be healed. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Because sin destroys relationships with other people. That's why some people get a revelation of the finished work of Christ. And they get locked into this freedom. And they don't know how to control this freedom. And they go out and they do whatever they want. And ultimately they're hurting people. And they're still bringing sin and destruction into relationships. Which is not kingdom. That's not what Paul talked about. That's not what Jesus talked about. So when you interject or when sin creeps into a relationship, it begins to erode happiness because sin can destroy our relationship with people and ultimately sin can begin to destroy your relationship with God. No, it can't. Neither height nor depth nor principalities or power. It can, nothing can destroy my, listen, sin absolutely can begin to destroy your relationship with God and here's why. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Okay, so... Imagine this for a second. He, he lives his life. He's obviously a rich guy. He, his dad's a rich guy. He lives his life, and he goes to his dad, and he says, Look, I need my inheritance. I need my half of the inheritance. I'm out of here. 
I'm getting out of here. And the scriptures tell us, Jesus is telling the story. Luke is recording the story. And Jesus says that he takes his inheritance and he splits. He takes off. And, and Jesus says he spent it. He spent everything he had on wild living. You define that. Okay? I'm not even going to help you define that. He spent it on wild living. He just lived it up. He blew everything that he had. He just spent it. He broke a relationship with his father and with his brother, his family, and he left. And he spent everything he had. And then he, he's stuck. They're in the, a famine, and he gets hired by this guy, so he becomes a slave. And he starts working in this guy's field, feeding his pigs. And he, he's in the middle of a pig pen, and he's in this pig pen, and he's thinking about his life. And he's lost, and he's broke, and he's broken, and he's empty, and everything is gone. And then it says this in in Luke chapter 15, starting on verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, wow, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I'm sitting right here. I'm laying in this pig pen, and I am actually starving to death. He says, you know what? I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go to my dad, and I'm going to tell my dad, Dad, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I have screwed up royally, and I'm not even worthy to be called your son because sin has crept into my mind, and it has destroyed my relationship with you. It has destroyed my relationship in my mind, and I have lost everything in my mind. I am no longer worthy to be your son. I'm no good. I am just a piece of trash, and I'm not worth nothing. I'm just kicking rocks and in my mind everything is ruined and so he got up and he went to his father asking for a job he thinks man if I could just go home but I can't go home because my dad hates me in my mind I want to go home but my dad is so disappointed in me I've ruined everything I should at least go back and be a slave because they've got it better than I do. So he heads home. He heads home expecting punishment. He heads home expecting a butt chewing. He heads home expecting a cold shoulder. And he gets home. And here's what it says. But while he was still a long way off. Man, I could preach a whole message on that little verse right there. Just that first part. While he was a long way off. While he was still not back. While he was still not in the house, while he was still a long way off, it says his father, he has a dad still? His father saw him. I could preach a whole message. We stop right there, period, a whole message right here. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and then he goes on and says, and had compassion for him, and he ran to who? He's still his son? So while he was a long way off, I'm talking about everybody in this neighborhood back here, everybody in this neighborhood back here, that they're not worthy, and they don't even fit into a, a, the, the church and to the kingdom, and, and they've been broken, and they're hurt, and they're lost, and they're not even worthy to be called. While they're a long way off, God saw them, The father sees them, and not only does the father see them, the father has compassion on them. And Jesus says he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And then the son goes right back into sin mode. Right back into sin mode. Because he's missed the mark. He's missed the mark. Dad, 
I'm so sorry. He says, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm not even worthy to be called your son because in my mind, that's what sin does. Sin begins to erode relationships. Sin begins to lie to me. Sin begins to tell me I'm something that I'm not when I'm actually where I am worthy. Sin tells me I'm so not worthy. You know, we sing this song. We just sang it earlier, Reckless Love, and we say that part that says, I don't deserve it. Well, when we say that, I, I, I always sing that as if that's what I remember. In my mind, I don't deserve it. But I'm not speaking from my mind. I'm speaking from your thoughts. I actually do deserve it. I do deserve it. And it says, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring, and this wasn't just any ring. This was a signet ring, okay? This was like the, the family crest ring. This was like the ring that identified the son as a part of that family. So the dad wasn't just like, put a ring on him, because some people were like, well, that didn't make any sense. It makes total sense, because the father was saying, you are still absolutely 100% my son. And he says, put sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it, because we about to throw a party. See, when we sin, it begins to manipulate or distort our view of God. It begins to distort our view of the Father towards us, not God's view of us. Okay, it distorts and destroys. So when I say that sin absolutely can destroy your relationship with God, it absolutely in your mind. It absolutely distorts your view of the Father. But the Father's view towards you is love. The Father's view towards you, He only sees you through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And He sees you through that perfect sacrifice. That's His view towards you. In this story, as far as the Son was concerned, He wasn't worthy to be called a son. That's where the world is today. They're not worthy for this. Did you know that that this this was an old, old statistic, but I used to use this all the time, that if all the people who used to go to church, and we're going to use this word, I hate this word, but we're going to use it, and backslid, they're no longer in church, If they all decided to come back to church, did you know that there are not enough churches in America to fill half of that group of people? Think about it right now. I mean, there are some full churches, some big churches and some full churches and stuff. But where I kind of grew up, most churches aren't very full. And if all the people who used to be in church, who are no longer in church, came back to church, there's not enough churches in America for half of them. You know what that tells me? That there are a lot of people who don't feel worthy. They don't feel worthy. Something has happened, and their relationship has been destroyed in their eyes. So the reason that there's things that that are written in the New Testament that we shouldn't do and that we should avoid is not because God got bored one day and decided to come up with a whole bunch more rules for us. The reason that Paul wrote a lot of these things, the reason that that the Gospels wrote a lot of these things is because God loves people 
And it is important to him to you, for you to have a good relationship with people. And so he's given a list of things that could potentially hurt our relationship with people. So when sin creeps into a relationship with someone else, and sin creeps into your relationship with God, because you have conflict with someone else, just remember, you need to be at peace with people. John, come up here with me. Sin also can destroy you personally. In fact, everybody that's, that's listening this morning, fill in this blank, okay? If I ever blank, I would not be able to live with myself. Okay? What is that for you? Fill in that blank however you want. If I ever blank, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Think about that phrase. I can't live with myself. Okay? I can't live with myself. I couldn't face myself in the mirror. I don't want to think about what I've done. I can't be alone. I, and my mind just begins to go back to that stupid, that dumb decision that I made, that destructive decision that I made. But here's the thing. Sin destroys by substituting. Sin substitutes pleasure for fulfillment. Sin substitutes things for people. Sin substitutes images for intimacy. Sin substitutes experience for exclusivity. Sin oftentimes substitutes immediate for ultimate. I used to say this to our Bible school all the time, but I would say the chief cause of failure is trading what you want most for what you want now. That's the way sin works. Sin tries to substitute. It gives you a counterfeit. It's like sweet and low. Nasty. <laughs> it's not the same. It's not what it, you know, it's not the same thing. The chief cause of failure is trading what we want most for what we want now. So in that way, sin makes promises that it can't keep. Sin is not your friend because at the end of the day, it undermines your happiness. It kills, it destroys relationships. Now I'm going to show you a verse real quick in the Bible, and we're going to, we're going to close it up. This is, this is from the book of James. I read the verse from James a while ago, and he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. I love anything that James says I think is awesome because James is the, the brother of Jesus which I think is the coolest thing ever. James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe in, that Jesus was everything Jesus said he was until Jesus died and raised from the dead. Then James became one of the most powerful leaders of the church, of the movement ever. And so James, he's the little brother. I mean, can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your big brother, right? The things that you saw or the things that you heard, you know, like, James, James, go to the well and bring mom a bucket of, never mind, Jesus, go to the well, right? No, you didn't get that. Uh, or James, don't worry about cooking dinner tonight. Jesus cooked dinner last night and there's plenty of, thank you, nobody, hey, I'm drowning here. I used to want to be a stand-up, but now you know why I'm not, so anyway, James is, is writing, and he's a Jesus follower, and this is extraordinary. And he writes one of the most profound things in the New Testament on the topics of sin. And here's how he says it. We're just going to jump into the middle of this conversation. But he says this in verse number 1, James chapter 1, verse 15. He says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. 
and sin when it's full grown. Now listen, when he says this, he says, after it's conceived, so at the very beginning stages, this desire, it gives birth to something. It gives birth to sin, and it's just this little baby sin. It's a cute sin. We carry it around, we stick it in our backpack, put it on into the bed, you know, put it on the nightstand. We post a lot of Instagram pictures with it, you know. It's a little baby sin. No big deal. It's not going to hurt anybody. It's not going to hurt anything. But then he goes on, he says, but when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. It gives birth to death. And all of us have experienced this. We allow these little bitty baby sins that aren't that big of a deal, but they're slowly eroding our relationships. And we carry them around and we play with them and we toy with them. And we act like it's no big deal. And we just hold it and love it. And, you know, we just protect it. It's really not that big of a deal. It's not dangerous yet. But what James is doing is James is saying, I'm warning you, people, I'm warning you that if we're not careful, we let these little things into relationships that begins to erode relationships and and ultimately it's going to become full grown. And when it's full grown, it will destroy a relationship. It will destroy your peace with God. It destroys your peace with yourself and it destroys your peace with other people. When you let sin be full grown, it can make you not happy. And it breaks my heart to watch people unintentionally undermine their own happiness. And they'll spend seasons of their life trying to be happy. And they can't figure out why. And it's because they let these little sins come in that ultimately erode relationships. Jesus talks about, we'll we'll talk about this more next week. Jesus talks about it, that you were born with the capacity for happiness and that it is way more under your control to be happy than you think it is. You have that power. So we're going to tie it all together right here, and we're going to summarize. So the clarity of happiness, what actually makes you happy? What makes you happy? Nothing. That's the answer to the question, okay? So if you're taking the quiz, you can go ahead and jot that down. The answer to the question is what makes me happy? Nothing actually makes you happy. It's who Happiness is tied to a who, not a what. Sin always undermines peace by destroying and substituting. And then here's the big eye-opener for the first time for some of us. But since Jesus thought this was so powerful, since Jesus valued and prioritized, what is the greatest commandment? Well, it's peace with God peace with yourself and peace with others so if Jesus valued and prioritized peace with God peace with yourself and peace with others then maybe we should value and prioritize that so maybe we should consider ultimately being a Jesus follower a real Jesus follower who who does things that Jesus did who says things that Jesus said who loves people the way Jesus loved people who who spoke with such power and conviction the way Jesus did. Because ultimately everything, everything, everything stems from Him. Everything stems from Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. So here's a question I want you to ask yourself. This would be the homework for this week. is your who you know it's kind of the 
I guess the Peter Pan question here. What's your happy thought? Who is your happy thought? Who is your happy thought? For some of you right now, you're thinking about your kids. For some of you, you're thinking about your spouse. So who's your happy thought? And, and, and whoever your happy thought is, let's put a lot of our effort and our focus in that. If, if our who is not actually in a good spot right now, then what if we've put all of our effort and our focus on that who so that we could have peace in that relationship? Because we know what doesn't make us happy, but we know who does. We can begin to mend those relationships. The other thing this week is I want you to practice is that you are worthy to be called a son, a daughter of Christ. Okay? So no matter what sin has done in your life, and no matter what it's done to erode your mind and your thought process, and you don't feel worthy, you don't feel good enough, you feel like a failure, you feel like everything's always stacked against you, your homework this week, maybe write it on a sticky note, put it on your mirror, put it on your your uh, your dash in your car, whatever you want, but write a sticky note that says you are worthy. You are. You are worthy of this. Let's pray. Father, I, I just ask right now, Jesus, God, that you will begin to help give us the power, help equip us to mend these relationships with our who's. God, these relationships with people that, that make us happy because everything always goes back to a who over a what. First and foremost, Jesus, it's you. You are our, our number one who. That, that we honor you, that we love you, that we lift you up, that we proclaim your greatness to people. And then the other who's that are in our life and and maybe some relationships that are broken right now. Jesus, I pray that you give us the strength and the understanding to know how to restore. Maybe the right, the right thing to say or the right time to make a phone call or whatever we got to do. Maybe the, the right conversation that we sit down to at the dining room table, God. But I, I pray that we can begin to mend and bring peace into that who. Because ultimately, our happiness is tied to that. Father, we thank you for that, Jesus. I pray you give us wisdom and understanding and knowledge, God, so that we can see all the things that you called us to see and we'll have understanding like never before. And we just give you all the praise, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.